So that's just 20 to 25 minutes um, that we get to bring the message each each Sunday, and it's that goes so quickly. You would sometimes it doesn't feel like it out there. I know, but um, <laughs> but uh, for me up here, it just races by. So let's just get into it. We're into two weeks, week two of this um, three week series, which has been titled "Peace of Mind." We're going to break next week in David Collins, which is a name that might be familiar to you if you've been attending church for, here for some time, because we pray for him. His face comes up on the screen there, and he's our missionary over there in the Solomon Islands at the, um, at the training facility out there. He's going to be here with us in church next week, which is really exciting, and he's going to bring us the word. And then the week after that, in two weeks' time, we'll round out this, um, round out this series. And last week, I spent a bit of time introducing um, the series and that it was inspired by Louis Giglio's book, um, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And through the book and subsequent small group studies and through scripture that I've um, been reading, I've just felt the impact by the realization of the footholds that I had unknowingly allowed my greatest enemy to have in my life. And that as I allowed the devil to plant thoughts in my mind or worse, as I allowed those thoughts to take hold in my life, I was losing some of the intimacy of the relationship that I could have with my God. And my challenge as I read that was to take back that ground. Last week was titled The Open Invitation, and we're looking at this relationship that we can have with our Father using this, as anal- using this analogy of um, a table or a meal that we have just between us and him. And there's this amazing invitation that we have um, that he's extended us to sit across from him and share together and learn from one another and discuss. And what he reveals to us is truth more about who we are, our purpose that he has in mind for us. And we're lifted up and we're encouraged. Truth is spoken over us and and we realize the the love that he has for us. That's a pretty good dinner conversation, I think. Last week, we also learned that the devil is interested in disrupting that relationship. And he does it by sowing seeds and lies that speak into your fears and your desires because it turns out that he knows us too. And he has a plan for your life too. But unlike God, the enemy wants to ensure you never discover your purpose. And if you do, he wants to destroy that. He'll also want to destroy your dreams, ruin your relationships. And if if he can... Destroy Christ's name in the process. He'll do it too, and he's had a good day. But through time with Jesus in his word and in prayer, we can learn to distinguish God's voice from anything else that might be speaking into our life. And before I go on this morning, I really want to thank those of you who have spoken with me or emailed me throughout the course of the week because you were able to relate with me in some of the challenges that I'd had. And I was trying to be vulnerable last week and, and sharing a little bit about my challenge as a, as a father and, and as a husband maybe. And this thought immediately springs to mind that 
um, that didn't occur to me as I was writing it during the week that if I, by sharing these things, my own church might even see me as a failure and lose trust and confidence in me. Who would trust someone who's messing up, you know? And so, and I was just so encouraged by those people that shared. And I just wanted to say thank you because it turned out that this is not a battle. That's a one-off, you know, it's ongoing. And the conversations that I had just seemed to prove that. But we're assured that it gets easier over time because we've got a God that is caring for us and sowing into our life and giving us tools to equip us. And that's a good thing. We've been using Psalm 23 to help us go through this teaching um, as Louis does in the book. And last week we read through verses one to three, and we're going to continue this week through the chapter and just sit in chapter four for a moment. That's all. Last week, if you were with us, we did something a little quirky and we read the verse to get the whole chapter together. It was a bit of fun. Um, and I'm wondering whether we could do that again today. So and I'll throw it up on the screen. This is just Psalm 23, verse four, only one verse today, but let's read it together. But even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Verbalizing scripture is powerful. And so I think it's a, it's a good habit to be in. But this particular verse starts off with a pretty alarming truth that trouble is going to come into our life. The verse says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I didn't read it. It didn't say even if, you know, some of us aren't going to get lucky in time, probably, <laughs> you know, we are going to walk through trouble. And as if I needed to dispel the myth, life can be hard. And I don't doubt there's people sitting in here. There's not one person actually that's sitting in here, you know, that could prove contrary. There was a door-to-door saleswoman that came to the church office here. It's odd that it happens because it's a long walk down the driveway to the, um, to the front door. And even if you do drive in, it's a long way to find the office. And so this lady was obviously determined, but she found the office and she was selling something that we weren't really interested in buying. I think it was like bulk gravy or something like that. I don't know. It's weird. um, We don't really use gravy in bulk. And so I had to just quietly let her down and um, and, um, that we weren't interested in, in buying what she was selling. However, she was interested in hanging about and she was interested in what was going on at the church here. She would ask questions like, what do you do here? How many people come here? When do you meet? What do you believe? And she asked a lot of questions and I answered as best I could. It's kind of how conversations go. And I asked her a few questions too. One being, what do you believe about spirit in a spirituality? And her response was honest And I really loved it. It was raw. I don't know, she says, but I do know what I believe, what I see and what I experience myself. And for some reason that despite all of the disappointments and sadnesses and challenges of life that I see, those in my life who have professed to be Christian or call themselves Christian seem to remain calm and at peace through it all. And I'm not. 
And she goes on to say, and she's talking about her family, um, of, and she's got three girls, and she really wanted that, that kind of peace for her own children. And I'm an okay pastor, so I've invited her to church, folks, and I haven't seen her here yet, but I'm trusting. There's a seed planted there maybe. But this woman noticed that those Christians in her life were not without strife, but their response in the midst of trouble distinguished them from others that she knew, that those in strife weren't able to change their circumstance. And there are some things we can't change. You know, we can't choose our family. You know, some of us have tough families. But we do have power that through the Spirit, we can change our minds. The Lord can change our minds. When we're walking through the valley in the darkness, we're able to continue to move through the valley with a peculiar attitude of peacefulness and without fear. And it's peculiar because those without Christ also go through similar hardships and they notice a difference in our response. Hopefully. Today's message is titled The Uninvited Guest because as great as that woman's experience has been of Christians in her life, it's not always our truth, is it? I don't always look like a picture of peace in the hard times. <laughs> Those that know me would see me get flustered under stress. At the times when we're in the valley, we stop and we dwell for a moment and we stop walking. In the relationship dispute or in the trial, the uninvited guest takes his opportunity to sell the lie that it is you or it's me against the world or maybe that there's no way out of the situation that you're currently in. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 tells us some of the tools that the enemy uses in this situation. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. It starts out. And verse 16 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father but are from this world. You know, the valley is often the place where amazing life change happens, right? Good and bad. I've been through some tough times and pretty dire situations, but the Lord has really worked in my life in those times. The valley could be financial struggle, uh, maybe even illness, relationship breakdown, and potentially we are refined and we're strengthened in those seasons. But often the opportunity for the enemy presents itself and he tells us to stop for a moment and look up out of our valley and onto someone else's mountaintop. They've got everything. They've got everything I want. The comparison lie is a common one. And as Peter puts it in that verse, a craving for everything we see. You know, social media gives us a, pretty, you know, probably a, a wrong sense of what the behind the scenes looks like of someone else's life. And it looks pretty good, I suppose. 
looks amazing actually. And the desire to almost switch lives with someone else, you know, becomes a little bit of a, um, a bit of a thought that might come through our mind. They've got it all together. They've got this. I don't. They've got that. I don't. And this breeds this jealousy and resentment for one another. And it keeps us where we are in the valley. Doesn't lift us to the mountaintop. It just stops us where we are. Not one step further forward. Or maybe it's there's a thing that you revert to in those times um, that gives you comfort. And instead of leaning on Christ, like we were talking about last week, we lean onto something else. And the enemy presents himself as a, as a friend in those moments. And it's almost a, an empathetic voice that comes and he offers something tempting and promising a reward <laughs> because you deserve it. You've been through a tough time. It's going to be good, he says. You'll feel good. No one will find out. And then if we listen and we fall, that tune immediately changes and it turns from being inviting to very accusatory. From it's going to be good to you're the poorest example of a Christian. Look at you. God hates you. And that valley becomes a little darker and we're sold this lie that there's no way out. And then this lie that is compounded by our failure leads us to agree with his accusations. And our enemy condemns us and he isolates us from everyone else. As though what we're experiencing is unique. But this has been quite the revelation for me because in every group that I have spoken to, everyone that's going through this exercise and discovering Uh, The same sort of thing. It's not unique. Actually, most people that we talk to are going through similar seasons or have been through a similar time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the truth is that many of us are on the same journey together. It says there that the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow that temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Praise God. That's not what the enemy said. And that does not sound like a God who hates you. (laughs) That's a God that loves you. And this is where we begin to experience freedom through listening to the father and learning the difference between what his voice is and what it isn't. That's the key. And the first difference is this, that rather than condemn, the father convicts. If that voice speaking to you is condemning you or confining you to your sin and ensuring that guilt and shame remain with us, that's not God. Christ, our God, convicts us, which brings awareness of where we can grow and change and move forward through the valley. Secondly, the enemy feeds the lie that for any one of a number of reasons, you have a need to conceal your sin. But Christ prompts us to confess our sin. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, people who conceal their sin will not prosper, 
but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. One stops us in the valley. (laughs) The other keeps us moving through. And that's really hard, this one. But remember, the purpose of the enemy is to confine us to a life of shame and guilt. Hiding our sin away creates separation from God. Yes, our father, but it separates us from one another as well. And God's intention for us is for us to walk in freedom and closely with him. Confession leads us to that. It keeps us walking through the valley and into freedom. Third, the enemy leads us to constant remorse and no actual change, whereas Christ leads us to repentance and forward momentum. And it might be a subtle difference between the terminology between the two, but constant remorse confines us to constant sorrow. We are stuck in it, unable to move on, whereas repentance causes us to come to the Father and make the quality decision to make the change and move forward through the valley. And that's the difference between the enemy's voice and the father's voice. Condemnation, concealment of sin, and this constant remorse leads us to stop in the valley, wallow in our predicament, and continue to fall time and time again, the same cycle. Our father's voice of conviction, encouragement, and prompting to confess keeps us walking purposely through the valley. And even though it can be a long journey, and I've spoken to many of us here who have been on a long journey, the strong sense of realisation of the love and comfort of the good shepherd enables us to keep moving, but with a peace of mind. So how does it change our thinking? This truth. How does it change our prayer life? Our good father has equipped us with what we need to win the battle of the mind. And he hasn't left us stranded in the valley. That's what Psalm 23 verse 4 said. And as we look to understand the biblical method to establish this peace of mind, because that's what we're here for, right? We're going to revisit some scripture that might have sound familiar. If at the start of the year you were here for Pastor Nathan's series, How We Fight. And the key verse in that series was from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. I'll just read this one. You don't need to read it with me if you don't want. <laughs> we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, to knock down the strongholds, sorry, pardon me, of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. And Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the word of the Lord is sharper than any double-edged sword. Sounds like a pretty mighty weapon. So how do we use the word of God as our weapon? First of all, 
when that thought enters your mind. Examine it. Where did that thought come from? Does it align to God's word? Is this thought condemning me, condemning me or is it prompting me to change and move forward through the valley? Is it stopping me where I am or is it helping me to move forward? Is it prompting me to conceal my sin or cause me to sin or is it calling me to return and change and draw closer to God? Examine the thought. Two, bind that thought in Jesus' name. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ, says Paul. Once you capture that thought and examine it, bind that thought in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon that we can use. Using the power of Jesus' name as a weapon. It's pretty mighty. Third, we walk in truth, and I'll expand it in that we walk in victory. There are some in Christian circles who um, I've met and that I know who are almost stuck in this war with the enemy. (sighs) But I read in the Bible that Jesus has already defeated him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. That's a pretty awesome promise and one that we can cling to. Scripture also says that the enemy flees at the name of Jesus. When Jesus sent out the 74, they came back and reported that demons were fleeing and trembling at the very name of Jesus. That's incredible. This means that we have victory in Jesus' name. I think there are a number of ways that we can respond today. I'm trusting that as we discover how good the Father is to us as we continue in his word, which is the point from last week, Our love compels us to want to please him and be obedient to his word. And that, by the way, is a great way to respond. Some of us are trapped in the cycle of sin and shame. Camped in this valley and not able to move forward. We know we're there. But every attempt to break that cycle and move forward just seems to fail over and over again. And that usual pattern of falling and then committing to God that we'll never do it again isn't really working. We're trying to do that in our own, in our own strength. And your response this morning might be that you need a circuit breaker. You need to do something different. And the realisation that you can't do anything <laughs> on your own to change is probably a great start. A dependence on God is the difference between last time you attempted to move forward out of the valley and this time. God is calling you to surrender to him. 
James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Perhaps you're in the valley right now and peace is certainly not your reality. Maybe the response is to walk in truth and to ask God for an experience of the resurrection power and victory in Jesus. And we'll pray for that. But you need to know that God will provide a way out for you. Lift your head. That's his promise. A life of victory is our inheritance. Praise God. But either way, we need to pray. And we're going to do that now. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, this word. God, the revelation that um, we have an enemy that seeks our destruction, Lord, is handy to know. <laughs> Lord, and the realization makes us aware, and that's important. But, Father, we come to you as the one who has victory over the grave, who has victory over death. And Lord, through the spirit who is inside of us, Father, we can realize that too. And so God, we're humbled by that fact that in our own strength, we struggle. We are trapped in the cycle and we're fighting against ourselves maybe, Lord Jesus, but this morning we surrender to you. I say, Lord, we want to do something different this time. God, I am struggling with this. Fill in the blank. But Lord Jesus, this morning I'm giving that to you. What does surrender look like for me this morning? God, what does your presence in that situation look like for me? Do I need to confess? Lord, and be released from that shame that I've been internalizing and hiding from the truth. For those that are suffering anxiety in that valley and they feel like they are rooted in that situation and not able to move forward, Father, Lord Jesus, we speak the name of Jesus in that situation. Lord, invade the mind and speak truth of your word into their life. There is a way out. There is a way to endure, and it's through the love of Christ. Lord, where anxiety has no place, and it's substituted with joy and peace. Lord, the weakness that we feel has no place, and it's substituted with strength from the Lord. I hear those words. And I want that, God. And so that's my commitment to you this morning, Lord Jesus, that I will depend on you, Lord, and I will seek you. I'll speak the name of Jesus into those situations. Get behind me, Satan. You have no place. And Lord, if we do need to confess, Father, I pray for boldness over your people here. That is a hard, hard thing to do. But Father, that is also biblical, as you say. And there is redemption. And there is healing in that process 
and our feet are picked up and given flight to be able to walk through that valley with you. I want to thank you for that. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 